0: You're listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast.
1: We're your hosts, Lorne Fultenberg,
0: Alyssa Hurst, and I'm Nicole Militello. After several high-profile recent cyber attacks, the White House is now warning that businesses need to up their security measures to protect themselves and their customers. In the past few weeks, we've seen the country's largest fuel pipeline shut down for five days, creating gas shortages and chaos in the Southeast after a cyber attack. The company ended up paying the hackers almost $5 million to recover the stolen data. And now, a new cybersecurity task force just formed by the Department of Justice found and recaptured the majority of that ransom. In two other recent cyber attacks, production at the world's largest meat processor was targeted, along with the systems used by New York City Transit, which oversees the subway and the buses. I talked with Nate Evans, a professor in the University of Denver's cybersecurity program, about what makes a company vulnerable to an attack, how companies weigh the decision to pay ransom, and why we're seeing a spike now. First, we start with the basics. He explains what a cyber attack is and how it happens.
1: It's really whenever somebody's running something on a computer that they're not supposed to. Typically, how they happen is, you know, people write software and unfortunately, all software has vulnerabilities in it. So people make mistakes when they're writing code, uh, despite all of our best efforts, right? So, um, and the attackers, hackers, bad guys, whatever you wanna call them, are able to exploit those vulnerabilities in order to, again, execute something on a system that they're not supposed to. So uh, typically the, the ingress point is going to be a combination of human error and, a software vulnerability. Uh, I mean, not always, but but, uh, in a large number of attacks, the starting point is like somebody sending you an email, a a phishing email, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, where there's a a malicious link or a malicious file. Uh, But then when you click on it or open it or whatever, it's going to exploit some vulnerability that's nascent on your system. And then that gives you access.
0: Can you explain how ransomware attacks fit into this conversation on cyber attacks?
1: Yeah, I mean ransomware is just a, a specific type of cyber attack. So again, any kind of any kind of um, malicious software that's running on somebody's system would be considered a, a, a cyber attack or a cyber intrusion or whatever. And ransomware is just a very specific kind of cyber attack where. Uh, essentially, an attacker's software is going to either delete all the files that are on your system or um, most commonly encrypt all of the files that are on your system. And you know the stuff is still there, but you don't have access to it anymore, even though it's on your own computer. So then the, the point of, of ransomware typically is to sell you the decryption key or sell you your data back. Uh, and then I guess another, motive might even be not to uh, restrict your access to your data, but maybe threatening to reveal your data to someone else. So if I am an attacker who gets hospital records, right? uh, You are going to look pretty bad as the hospital administrator if all of your data gets put on the internet. So sometimes ransomware is just, you know, if if, if you don't pay us, we're gonna release this information to everybody.
0: So is there typically like a general motive behind this or does it just vary from attack to attack?
1: I mean, it it varies from attack to attack and it also varies based on who the the actor is, the the threat actor. So if we're talking specifically about uh, ransomware attacks, typically those are financially motivated. There's not so much where it's uh, somebody trying to exert political pressure or perform cyber espionage, although of course, that's a possibility, but again, because these attacks are so in your face uh, with ransomware, it's, it's pretty obvious that the, the goal is financial. So mm-hmm. if you had a threat actor that was a nation state, for instance, that has a, a, a huge amount of resources and are very highly focused on a specific you know, company or sector, or maybe trying to steal some, some particular information from another government, Usually those attacks are a lot more stealthy. And so we don't hear about them necessarily as much because again, you know they might only target one or two individuals or one or two companies uh, and they will not be so brazen to say like, we're here and you need to pay us but they'll just kind of hide in the network and very slowly kind of uh, extract information that, th- that they want or something like that.
0: Okay, so sometimes you might not even be aware of the cyber attack happening.
1: Yeah, in a, in a lot of cases and I, I think, I actually think that the, the numbers that we see about the different types of cyber attacks are pretty skewed. Um, you know, so, Sometimes we get reports from cybersecurity companies who maybe have a pretty good picture, but uh, there's a lot of attacks that either aren't detected or aren't reported because again, attackers might be in your system for months or even years in some cases without being detected either because, you know, the the cybersecurity practices at that company just aren't very good, or the attackers are just really, really focused and really good at what they do. So, So yeah, there's definitely attacks that nobody knows about. And then there's also, there's no requirement in many industries for companies to report if they had a cyber attack. So in addition to companies that don't realize that they're being attacked, They might be attacked, but they don't want to lose face, so they're not going to report it to the public, right? So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: there's a lot of things we don't see, I think.
0: Yeah, and so we've seen several headlines about all of this recently. Why do you think those specific companies were targeted or what made them vulnerable?
1: You know, I, I guess I would start by saying that ransomware attacks, the kinds that we have seen, are typically not specifically focused on a particular business or industry or sector, or whatever you want to call it. They're more kind of just a scattershot approach. They don't care who they attack because, you know, they're really just trying to get money out of it. Uh, the reasons maybe, I mean, the obvious reason that, that the companies that do get uh, breached or attacked are is probably because their cybersecurity defenses aren't very good. Maybe they don't have enough resources devoted to protecting their networks, or they don't follow cybersecurity best practices. Uh, Again, I I really don't think that they're being targeted based on, uh, you know, attackers saying, boy, we really want to take down the the meat distribution Mm -hmm. uh, industry in in, in the world or something like that. Uh, So I think it's usually just they're, they're kind of going for the low hanging fruit, they will, uh, you know, send out mass phishing emails when when a new vulnerability is discovered. And whoever clicks on the link or or uh, goes to the website that's malicious, you know, they'll then try to attack. Uh, And I, I really think it's, it's more like that. It's kind of picking off whoever they can, as opposed to specifically targeted attacks.
0: And we know with the Colonial Pipeline, they paid the hackers nearly $5 million. So what's the risk of giving in and paying that kind of money? And how does a company kind of weigh that decision?
1: That's a great question. I think for most businesses, it's going to be strictly a cost-benefit analysis Mm -hmm. where they say, if we're down for a day, we lose X amount of dollars and the ransom is Y amount of dollars. So if the amount we're losing is more than the amount of the ransom, maybe we should just pay it because then we'll be back in, and being operational um, immediately. So the, the first part of your question is, you know, what are the risks? The main risk is you pay them and then they don't unlock your files or give you access back. And that, I, that happens in some cases where the, the ransomware group maybe even just disappears, either they got spooked because there was you know, uh, worldwide attention paid to them uh, or, or something where they just kind of go away but in, in most cases if you pay the ransom you do get your your information your access back but uh, another thing you know even if you get your your data back you don't know that the attacker is gone so you you kind of have to assume that they still have access to your systems even if they give you your your information back and that means that you know once you're operational again you still kind of have to start over and kind of burn your computer systems down to the ground and start over from scratch because there's no real way to know that the the uh the attackers are 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 out
0: it just seems like a slippery slope because you're sending the message that you are willing to do business with them and it gives hackers more of an incentive that this does work and we should target whoever we can because maybe they'll pay us the money
1: right yeah and it's uh it's almost win-win for attackers because they can kind of just scattershot, like I said before, just send out all these emails or scan all of the systems and see what, what they're able to access. And if somebody refuses to pay and they, they rebuild their systems from backups, you know, okay, so you didn't, you didn't succeed in that, but, you know, maybe there's 100 other companies that you're attacking at the same time that, that would be more, more willing to pay
0: how does cybersecurity in general work in the United States? Like, is it just a company by company basis? Is there some sort of national guidelines for like how companies should be protecting themselves against these attacks?
1: That's a yeah, that's a really good question. It depends on your industry is the the short answer. So there are national guidelines, uh, lots of different government agencies put out different um, guidelines, but There are only specific sectors that have legal regulatory requirements for specific cybersecurity best practices. So healthcare is one where there there are requirements for storing and transmitting uh, patient data and for securing systems in which uh, patient data lives. So that's one industry where there are pretty strict requirements. It doesn't stop everything. Um, and another industry is, is the financial sector, uh, which also has requirements for payment processing and, and payment data, uh, where you have to have certain cybersecurity minimums in place in order to do business. But most of the industries and businesses are just kind of whether or not they take it seriously and whether or not they, they implement the, the best practices. There have been some attempts, um, I think maybe 10 years ago, there was an attempt to uh, make more stringent requirements for uh, critical infrastructure businesses that uh, didn't actually get put into into law. Uh, But yeah, there, there are no across the board requirements that everybody has to follow.
0: I was reading a lot about the recent attacks and a lot of people were saying that there's really no excuse for these big wealthy companies to have these kind of cyber breaches because they do have the money to put effective cybersecurity in place. And I was just curious what you thought about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of a harsh take to be honest, because if, if, if an attacker is resourceful enough and focused enough and motivated enough uh, they will be able to breach any system. So, no matter what you do, like I, I, think I started by saying there are there's vulnerabilities in every piece of software. So there's mm-hmm. there's no way to perfectly protect all of your systems. There's always things that are going to get through. There's also a lot of human error involved. Again, you know, you see some estimates that like 70% of cyber attacks start from a phishing email, uh, and that's highly related to human error, right? A person clicking on something because they, they they think it's a legitimate link right. or a legitimate file. And and there's really nothing you can do other than education to prevent that. And then there's also attacks that, that start from an insider threat. So if somebody inside of your company is disgruntled or uh, you know maybe trying to, to perform a ransomware attack against you, they've infiltrated your ranks and they already have access. So there's nothing you can do to prevent that. So I don't think it's fair to say that if if companies paid more money, then they would be immune to these types of attacks. I think it would reduce the the incidents, of course, but it's I think it's too too harsh to say, you know, that that it's all their fault.
0: Recently, the Department of Justice just created a task force focusing specifically on cybersecurity, and they noted the growing threat that ransomware poses, and I was just curious, what's behind that growing threat? Why are we seeing a lot more of these attacks now or hearing more about them?
1: One thing would be that these are high profile attacks and they seem to be working in a lot of cases. Uh, Again, people look at that cost benefit analysis and say, I want my systems back up and running today. And the only way to do that is to pay. So um, in, in some cases, unfortunately, The the ransomware attacks are are successful. Uh, And it's also hard to track down and prosecute the ransomware actors. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But, you know, it's uh, it's hard to figure out who exactly is perpetrating these attacks, and to actually shut them down. So again, they're kind of working. Um, I think another reason is that ransomware attacks are really easy to perpetrate nowadays. So you can buy software that performs the actual attack, you know, encrypting all the files on, on a system or exploiting vulnerabilities. And then, you know, from deleting the files or transferring them or encrypting them or whatever, you can buy that stuff for pretty cheaply, you know, something like $500, uh, for software that can perform these, these kinds of ransomware attacks. And then you just have to, get entry into a system and you deploy the software that you purchased and it'll do everything else for you. Even worse, there's uh, what are called ransomware as a service um, groups out there, which uh, a a couple of the high profile attacks that we've we've recently seen are these ransomware as a service, uh, not companies, but organizations, groups, whatever you want to call them, where they will essentially bundle up the the software that's going to do the actual ransomware attack, so say encrypting all your files, and then they'll also deal with like the payment processing on the back end. So, you know, deploying a a Bitcoin wallet or Bitcoin address to get payment, and then also monitoring when that payment gets gets made and then unlocking the files. They'll basically do everything for you. um, And you essentially uh, just have to contract with them to use their software and then they get a cut off the top. So it's, it's a, uh, there's a low barrier to entry, I guess, is, is another one of the main reasons.
0: What changes do you think we need to see to better enhance cybersecurity?
1: So a big one would be, I think, education. So again, user error is a reason for a lot of attacks is kind of the starting point for a lot of attacks with the emails again, which I've kind of been a broken record about that, but it is a a huge entry point. So, you know, teaching people what information to trust in an email or on a website, I think there's still a large gap there. Um, Because people, when they receive an email, you know, if you receive a Word document from somebody that you don't know, You shouldn't open it and even if it is from somebody that you think you know there's you know ways to to look at the email headers to make sure that it is in fact from the person that you thought it was Mm -hmm. and you might even go as far as saying if i receive a word document or powerpoint from nicole maybe i should uh call nicole and say hey did you really send me this this file which i don't think anyone does in in most cases but uh, that might be the the only way to really be sure that that it is from uh, somebody that you expected. Um, another another thing, I think perhaps regulation would help. You know, making some some minimum requirements for companies for their cybersecurity posture. It I, I don't think it could hurt. Uh, then of course enforcing those requirements becomes really difficult because. You essentially have to audit uh, all these different businesses to make sure that they are up to the standard, and so that might, you know, that might be a, a huge administrative burden on the government or whomever is is required to to do these kinds of things. Um, you know, again, related to education, I think if if companies took kind of a, a more active Role in, in ensuring that they are somewhat secure, uh, you know, performing security audits on a yearly basis, uh, having penetration testing teams come in and tell them where perhaps they have weaknesses. Uh, just kind of a more security-first focus uh, would be great, but uh, I, I don't know how we make that happen. The only the only people who can do that are the people in charge of those businesses. So it's possible that all the the news around this will make that happen, but it's hard to to say. And maybe regulation would help there uh, as well. The last thing I'll say is in designing software and designing applications, if people took security as a more kind of a first class problem, instead of uh, not thinking about security until their their program or application is complete would be great. So kind of in, in software engineering, baking in cybersecurity into like the design process and the build process and testing would be, would be great. Uh, again, you can't prevent all software errors or all software vulnerabilities from happening. But uh, if, you, if you think about security Earlier on in the process, then you'll make better software and that would reduce some of the impact.
0: And we've talked a lot about the impact that these attacks have on businesses, but what's the impact for consumers, especially when it might be their personal information that they've trusted a company with?
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the impact on, I mean, that's, that's what the real impact is. In addition to, you know, taking a business down. When when data gets leaked, it's individuals' data. So you know, once your credit card number, social security number, address, even just your phone number gets leaked on uh, the internet, then you are at risk for things like identity theft or receiving you know something just annoying like spam phone calls or spam emails, those kinds of things. Uh, but yeah, the the individual is really who who kind of loses in a lot of these things, especially when it's uh, like medical software, medical data related kinds of, of breaches that people really lose out. And unfortunately, there's not much you can do once you give a company your information. So, you know, you go to the doctor and you tell them everything about you. And you kind of just are, are hoping that they have good security practices and that your data doesn't get leaked. And you're, you're doing that all the time. Whenever you sign up for anything on the internet or give your, your payment information to purchase something on the internet, you're kind of at, at risk of being breached. And you, know, you can do things like not giving out your information or not going on the internet or not purchasing things on the internet. But that's not realistic for for most people. So you kind of are at uh, the behest of of companies uh, handling your data. So if people were more worried about what companies were doing with their data, uh, which in the US were especially bad, uh, seemingly caring about our privacy and, and security of our information, then we could make companies be more accountable for what happens when you lose your data you know if if a company gets breached and your data gets put on the internet if everybody stopped buying things from that company then they would go out of business the market would speak again but yeah we are kind of at the behest of whoever we give our information to and we're the ones who lose out in the end
0: To hear tips from Nate Evans on how you can best protect your personal data, visit our show notes at du.edu slash radioed. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer, Tamara Chapman is our managing editor, and James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Nicole Militello, and this is Radio Ed.